0: <laughs> Sorry, I, I, that was a meant no, to that's be fine. Fa- <laughs> I've never had a fashion designer as a guest, but I've I'm not, I'm not had a dog. Hello and welcome to episode 132 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well, you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star but I've picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from sysadmin to CMO and each week I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums and share with you some marketing street launch that hopefully will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday the 16th of September 2022. Hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying the same as you feel you need to be. On this week's episode in the marketing studio, Jeff Clark and I wonder if RevOps is a one-hit wonder or wonderwall. I go backstage with fashion designer turned B2B marketer Galina Sobolev, And in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar, Robert Rose shares some thoughts from this week's content marketing. Guide. But first... We need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment.
1: We'll be right back. We'll be right
2: back.
1: You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy
0: On to our first segment, the Martin Studio with Jeff Clark. If you're new to the show, Jeff is our resident Rockstar CMO advisor and former Forrester Serious Decisions Research Director. <laughs> Welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO in the Jeff Clark studio. How are you?
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm doing great. How are you doing? <laughs> You've been planning that. i I got uh, to I I plug my brought... guitar in
0: sometime so I, I can just do a little say... dee dee. That's what I was going to say. You should have brought your guitar out. For re- regular listeners, might remember that Jeff can play the guitar and has done on this very show. I have been Sounds in a rock band, <laughs> although I can't claim to be a rock star. <laughs> well, none of us claim to be a rock star. We just have this weird name for our show. So there we go. Um, right. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about revenue ops, my friend. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, we'll talk about the weather in a second, but we're going to talk about revenue ops.
3: How's the weather? How's the weather? That, that was a question. Um, it, yes, of uh, course. You know, it's an absolutely beautiful day, and as I mentioned to you earlier, I'm going to go out for a cycle uh, on, a, on a, a bicycle, a pedal bike, and yes. uh, and uh, it's just, you know, it's just a beautiful, sunny, cool day here in
0: York. Yeah, we are ha- we're having the same. Beautiful, sunny September uh, evening. Although... I'm wondering whether we should, I mean, this is ruining the evergreen nature of our content by referring to the weather. <laughs> so if somebody's listening to this and it's pissing with rain outside, we do apologize. Yes.
3: yes. <laughs> it will get better if it is.
0: <laughs> All right. So uh, we, with this week, we're going to talk about revenue ops. Um, and I thought we'd resurrect uh, something that maybe the regular listeners will remember, that we used to do one hit wonder or wall, where we took a topic or a fad, that had been brought to our attention, and we gave it the one-hit wonder or wonderwall treatment, in which we decide whether it's a one-hit wonder or wonderwall. I wonder if, in a sentence, I could say one-hit wonder or wonderwall any more often. <laughs> probably, probably,
3: not. <laughs> so,
0: revenue ops—we uh, over the past few years, it's become quite hypey, hasn't it? We've seen it in blogs, webinars, and and uh, all sorts of all sorts of places. And I think. Um, you reminded me that when we had now Forrester analyst or senior analyst or principal analyst Simon Daniels on the show, when he was merely one of us mortals, um, he, referred to, he referred to revenue ops when we were talking about marketing ops, which was an interesting discussion. So we've dipped our toe into the topic. So, Jeff, is revenue ops a one hit wonder or wonder
3: Well, oh, heck. Ha- First, we should define what the heck we're talking yes. about here, because yes. I think it, I think it's the terminology that is becomes the issue. So you know, you know, it's like revenue ops is ostensibly merging sales and marketing operations. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you do have you know what did say if you have product operations or some other groups, merge them together into a cohesive, collaborative, operational unit, mm-hmm. and um, and so you know, I think that that's. It's that's one of these things that in theory sounds mm. like, wow, you know, why yeah. wouldn't we want to do that?
0: Yeah, yeah, well, that's what I was thinking, because it does sound like a uh, wonder wall. I mean, we we you've got this new title rising up and, you know, as the, the conversation about the CMO being moved and we're talking about chief revenue officer and we're having revenue ops. And it's it's a it's a lovely big old loving between sales and <laughs> marketing um but but why why is this a different why revenue ops why do you think well, we should be looking at this thing?
3: well so i mean i think the thing is that you know a market from a marketing perspective and so this yes this really you know as when this popped out and i was in the marketing ops group back at the mm-hmm. uh, forester um you know it's like we always want to be associated with revenue that's kind of like the holy grail yeah. so you know we have revenue uh, mm-hmm. You know revenue engines and revenue technology and yes. revenue funnels and yeah. you know, blah 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 yeah. and and um, so you know anything we, we can do to put a revenue spin on something makes us look like we're we're being more relevant, but I think True. one of the, the the challenges is that it 's like when you say the term revenue operations it it, it means you 're implying an organizational structure. I mean, not just uh, right. not just a love fest, <laughs> which lot, lots of people can be invited. You're implying a structure, uh, uh-huh. and and I think, you know, I mean, what's wrong with it is it, it's kind of it's like kind of become a fad, like account-based marketing, where you'd say, well, you, you know, I oh, I get it, you, but isn't isn't that what we've been trying to do all along? You, you've got up to head a little bit there, Jeff, to start talking about what's wrong
0: with it. But if we focus on the why, because. Um, when I talk about what marketing is for, right, I talk about awareness, revenue, and trust, right? Because I talk about creating art. So revenue is definitely so, – and you're saying marketers want to be associated with revenue, so all positive, right? Um, and we encourage marketers to associate themselves with metrics that the C-suite cares about. Absolutely. Revenue. So that's all good. So, so – and then this seems to be a sense of well, how do we operationalize that yep. together, right? So, so what's wrong with Re- RevOps? I know you well, already started. Well,
3: so. yes, I sorry for jumping <laughs> ahead. Um, so, it it uh, what's wrong again? It's implying a, an organizational structure. So, mm-hmm. and uh, and so in some cases, you know, there are there certainly are. Um, sectors you know uh industry sectors where where you know the chief person in charge of revenue is the person who's in charge of sales they're in charge of marketing yeah. they may be in charge of yeah. some other you know functions yeah. like services so like in manufacturing distribution logistics a lot of engineering led technologies etc you know that is that is the case mm-hmm. and but if i'm in a you know what i would say is probably a more traditional you know, business to business marketing role, sort of the companies I was at where well, you had a head of marketing with CMO and you had a head yeah. of sales who could be a CRO right. or, you know, whatever, senior vice yeah. president of sales. And, and so if I'm going to create a, again, it's implied that I've created this unified operational team. Well, where does it report? Yeah. Cause who it reports to determines who's going to set the priorities and the goals and mm-hmm. and reporting lines really do do matter, and so I think that that's that becomes the issue is that there's you know we we if we treat revenue ops like a lot of these other trends like account based marketing and say wow well, you know everybody should be going towards is thinking about it blah mm-hmm. blah 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 then it's like yeah. well we got to be much clearer about what we're meaning here because if there's a very small maybe ten percent of the market that is or ten percent of the organizations out there. For which this, as an organizational principle, is a good mm-hmm. fit, then mm-hmm. what about the rest of the ninety percent? Right, and 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 certainly you don't want to be the CMO, and then your you know everyone you're going to for information about data and technology mm. and the processes sits under this the head of sales, and mm-hmm. vice versa. Yes. Oh, I see what you're saying. So where
0: we currently will have sales up sitting under sales marketing opposite and under marketing, and then hopefully those two teams working well together, you're saying that if we then squish those together, come up with a revenue op- operations team, and put them either under the CMO or under the head of sales, somebody's not going to get served. Someone's going to, yes.
3: Someone's yeah, going to yeah. feel slighted yeah yeah and and in theory and you know mm-hmm. i mean we've been through lots of organization reorganization mm-hmm. stuff like that and it's in theory yeah. you know it's like if you move product marketing out from under the cmo and you put it in the product <laughs> group the cmo will say well you know we'll make it work but you know but then yeah it requires the executives to be in lockstep on on uh, probably yeah. even on minutiae that <laughs> you don't want yeah. them necessarily to be in lockstep yeah. on and and uh what? And so I think that's 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 really the challenge. So what, what's the d? What, what, I'm wondering what part of this isn't marketing operations
0: in a way, right? Because if you think about, um, you know, marketing operations, what are we? We're, we're tracking pipeline, right? We're tracking the lead generation. We're typically involved with the CRM in that way and sort of best, in some some way, best practices. But then you'll have sales operations helping out with that. The lion's share isn't the lion's share of what the c is going to need what the ceo is going to need or even the head of sales or whatever it's going to need is going to come out of marketing operations if we view it in that
3: traditional way right or it could come out of sales operations i mean it well, could that's it, could, trying to it understand, could be yeah. it could be the sales and, and, and this gets into the culture of the company is it a marketing mm. or is it a sales driven organization right. and yeah. you know um, and if it's a sales driven organization they're going to be the ones that are you know taking mm. the charge but I mean, the reality is that that um, you know a lot of the issues, you know, data processes, you know, the lead mm-hmm. process, lead process is a handoff to the opportunity process, yeah. and the, and all of these things d- do need to be looked at in a mm-hmm. in a unified way. So that's one of the things. And I know mm-hmm. when we were talking about this in at uh, at Forrester, as much as you know, we in marketing ops kind of bristled at the language. It's like but the holy grail really is to make sure that marketing operations and sales operations are are in lockstep and thinking mm-hmm. about things and planning things together um, and 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 again you you've got to serve different masters so you you mm-hmm. know you need to make sure that the CMO and the head of sales are aligned as well mm-hmm. as the operations staff aligned but but you know if you're um you know if you're working on you know, we're we're uh, like the CRM, we're going to, you know, we're going to buy a new CRM system. It's like, well, you know, mm-hmm. marketing and sales ops should be, you know, maybe not Above. equal uh, yeah. stakeholders, but pretty darn close to equal stakeholders because yeah, they're yeah. going to be feeding different parts and using different parts well, of that system together
0: Well, I mean, isn't isn't that also about which is going to be the single source of truth, right? Yes. To your customers, right? And if it's going to be the CRM, then there's then there's equal stakeholders across the it, business, it, isn't there?
3: Yeah, and if you're going to get like a customer data platform that that mm-hmm. you know Same. that that you know feeds or is is getting information yeah. from the CRM and other tools yeah. like a data warehouse yeah. in your organization, then it's like you need to be <laughs> you need to be planning how you're going to use that together, yeah. uh, you know, and and as much as you know, you know, my experience of early, you know, building lead flows that, that mm. map into opportunity flows. I mean, we thought yeah. about it as marketing does this part and sales does that part, mm. but that's the other thing that, that is, you know, needs to be more aligned because sales and marketing are both working early parts of a, of a, yeah. you know, a life cycle of a customer exactly. and sales and marketing are probably working both parts at the later end. Yeah. Even well, though there's, there's an, you know, there's some nuances. Yeah, there's, there.
0: there's no handover anymore, is there? Because the customer journey um in in B2B is, as as has been well documented is is kind of squiggly, isn't it? It's, I mean they'll they'll go forward a couple of steps, back a couple of steps. Very squiggly. <laughs> yeah, so 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 I mean it kind of it makes an argument I guess for having one team and uh, across across the I, piece. But isn't this really about Having coherent systems and then being able to do the, the appropriate reporting depending on the context Absolutely. of that particular, you know, you know and
3: I'll, a couple examples. I mean, when I was mm-hmm. um, at, at Pega Systems and I ran marketing operations, I mean, I worked hand in hand with the people in sales ops, and it was just it was a yeah. really good, you know, yeah. relationship that was both good at the executive level and it was good at at, at yeah. my level. And, and so, I mean, we were building new lead flows we were we were mm-hmm. kind of building, using our, building the cable to use our own CRM system. Yeah. So there was a lot of stuff that, that we had to work on together. And I had people who had talent in data and in good relationships with the guys that ran the warehouse, data warehouse. Yeah. And, you know, they had good people too. So, so a yeah. lot of it was, you know, uh, you know, putting the good people in place, and then making sure yeah. that they work together. Yeah, um,
0: we but- had we had the same. Yeah, we had the same at Sencha. We, we were trying to bring together HubSpot and and Salesforce, right? Yeah. Now, if you take that sort of di- di- um, siloed view, it'd be like, oh, Salesforce is sales and HubSpot is marketing, but we're trying to integrate those two things together. And the the two guys, one of the sales ops guys, and one of my guys would sit next to each other trying to figure this thing out of how it was going to integrate together. And one, uh, you know, it just so happened the person in marketing actually was quite proficient at the Salesforce stuff. So there was no real distinction between where those skills were. The sales ops guy knew what he wanted to get out of it and the marketer knew how to get the
3: reports that he was looking for. So example. it was, yeah, I mean, it it was very collaborative. So, um, before you jump on another example, which, which is, Kind of counter to what we've been mm. talking about is that there was a company that, again, when I was at Forster we were advisor yeah. to. So I won't I won't mention their name, but they they kind of had a a collapse in in marketing and uh and and a very sales driven organization, and so yeah. the people that were kind of in the operational roles of marketing moved in under a uh, a revenue you know they called it revenue operations yeah. team. Yeah. Um, which reported up into sales, and they but they had a ton of issues of replacing their CRM, you know, fixing yeah. uh, their lead process, lead and opportunity processes. So they had to go through the whole gamut of challenges on technology, process, skills, etc. Um, yeah. And and it was actually a positive that they and also measure. You know, this is like mm-hmm. how are we measuring success? Um, you know, determining what they're going to measure, how they're going, the tools they're going to use. And that was a success because, you know, again, there wasn't, I think in this case, there were not two mm-hmm. equally powerful executives and teams, marketing and sales. So one basically took, you know, took control, took the effort, mm-hmm. created the revenue mm-hmm. ops team. Mm-hmm. The the challenge, you know, was and, you know, would be down the road is that as you build up your marketing uh, you know, capabilities again, you know, then does the head of head of marketing, do they feel like they have people that they can go to and get yeah. the things that they need in terms of reporting and upgrading technology, yeah. et cetera?
0: Yeah, I mean, it could become like part of that tug of war between sales and marketing, isn't it? And, and in terms of um, who owns what in, in the wrong kind of organization, and in that yeah, kind of dysfunctional yeah. organization, yeah. But as we're saying that, so I'm getting the sense that what we're saying about this, and you mentioned account-based marketing a moment ago, and when we talked about account-based marketing, whenever that was quite a sh- few shows ago, I think we decided that it was just a thing that was good to do and that it was actually marketing. It didn't need to be called account-based marketing. If you're in B2B and you're not doing account-based marketing, then you're not really marketing kind of thing, wasn't it? It's a, just a really good best practice. So I think we're driving towards that same place, aren't we? With I this, think we're,
3: it, we're driving exactly the same place as yeah. that. Is that as opposed to thinking of something that's new? It is. Mm. It is. It is best practice to say how do the operations yeah. teams and you know yeah. again we could be thinking about services and and you know other yeah. uh, other organizations or the functions that have operations team members yeah. and saying how do we make sure they're aligned on their vision, the goals, yeah. and when it comes to you know all the things that cross you know because mm. you know processes, technology, the use of data. The ability to get data for analysis, the measurement, all those things typically are across mm. these functions, and so and so yeah. doing it in a uh, you know in a more aligned way um, in terms of how you're planning for it and how you're executing mm. it is just it's just best practice, and everybody yeah. should be doing it. Absolutely,
0: and um, I'm trying to recall some of the conversations I've had with the CMOS in interview slots, and I think it was Ed Brault, the uh, the CMO of Aprimo, was talking about how. It was him what's that? But where the, they they were making this kind of thing work because of the relationship between the head of sales and and the CMO and so it sounds to me like um, you don't need to have a CRO to make this work but it sounds like if you do have a CRO you would probably call that group revops because Correct. you all work for the CRO right so right. this assumes that there's an organization where it all sits under one guy or gal sorry um, and uh, and so if you have a rev if you have a revenue a revenue department under a chief revenue officer, then revenue yep, operations, operations is the is right, the right thing, thing to call, to, yep. to call your sales and marketing or sales and marketing operations. But if you don't like most businesses, then the revenue operations discipline is in the hands of marketing ops and sales ops to work better together. Have i have said it
3: better myself. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but
0: so that leaves us with the final uh, question really on that, which is, is it, do we think, a one-hit wonder or Wonderwall? I think it's a one-hit wonder. Splendid. <laughs> Splendid. I'm
3: sure that's going to be quite controversial, actually. Well, because, because Yeah, but also because so all the songs I was thinking about were one-hit wonders. So, I, that has to be. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: let's move on to that then. So you've picked a one-hit wonder for this week, Jeff. What are you
3: going with? I pick uh, from the Flock of Seagulls in 1982, <laughs> um, which, for those of you who don't remember, was actually a name of a band. Um, yeah. they had a song called I Ran, and, yes. uh, you know, as most of these songs, it's, it has more of a romantic theme, but, you know, it's like when I think of a lot of the buzzwords out there, I mean, my my yes. inclination is to run away, so that's why, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I picked it.
0: So Revenue Ups uh, is a one-hit wonder, and I'll be playing out with I Ran by Flock of Seagulls from 1982. <laughs> oh, yes, way back when. Hey, that was... That was 40 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and well, and then so, so to close, will I be seeing, well, yes. will I be joining you in the, Jeff in the Clark studio? Artist yeah. Studio next week. Cool. I'll plug my and I believe in that we year. know what we're going to be talking about. So shall I, we reveal that to the listener? Uh, sure. Yeah. I think we're going to be, because we mentioned it earlier. We we're going to, we you mentioned it anyway, that we're going to talk about uh customer data platforms. Yes inspired by our chum yeah who, and
3: i don't think this is a i'm not sure this is a one-hit wonder or wonder wall this is a oh we'll no, have, actually we'll have that. to we'll have to figure that one out yeah no i don't i, I well i mean we could argue about that right now i wouldn't say it?
0: it's one hit wonder but i don't think it's one hit wonder Wonderwall. Wonder, we're just going to share with our listeners our views on customer data platforms next week inspired by uh, mr daniels that we refer to everyone yes all right mate well, as I, as I mentioned, I'll play out with a flock of seagulls and I'll see you next week. Thank you, Jeff. And that was I ran from the Flock of Seagulls from 1982. There might be some that might argue they had more than one hit. What do you think? Are you a fan of the Flock of Seagulls or maybe Revenue Ops? Let us know. We are Rockstar CMO on all the socials. Time to go backstage with my guest. Galina Sobolev is the CMO of Starscan and founder, creative director at Single Los Angeles. As you'll hear, Galina grew up in Ukraine. She learned to sew and crochet from her grandmother, developing a deep love of fashion, and she studied at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. She pursued a career in high-end fashion, creating her own label, Single Los Angeles, a luxury collection for independent, stylish, and passionate women. And she was also a fashion designer finalist on Bravo's Launch My Line. Seeing that the fashion industry was on the precipice of change, Galena recognised a new opportunity at the intersection of fashion and technology and joined StyleScan, a CMO, seeking innovative ways for fashion brands to become more inclusive, sustainable and consumer centric. I might be the last person who should be interviewing a fashion designer. Let's see how I got on. Welcome, Galena,
2: to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Um, and for people that haven't come across you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: So my name is Galina Sobolov, and I am a fashion designer who grew up in Odessa, Ukraine, uh, immigrated mm-hmm. to New York, uh, worked in, New- studied in New York, studied fashion design at Fashion Institute of Technology, BFA graduate, did an exchange program in UK at Nottingham in a knitwear technology uh, specialization. Moved back to UK, lived in England actually for a year and a half, enjoyed a phenomenal time in the early 80s, did some modeling in England, which was a phenomenal experience. And then moved back to New York, worked on 7th Avenue for uh, large uh, designers in a corporate world and afterward moved to Los Angeles and I've been in Angelina for 35 years. Uh, starting in a corporate fashion world and moving into having my own company and having my own business for the last 20 semi-years, 25 years, yeah. uh, having my own company, single dress, yeah. and now with StyleScan. So that's a yeah. quick, quick recap <laughs> of my life.
0: <laughs> well, people might be wondering why I've got a fashion designer on a marketing show, but your current role is actually the CMO at StyleScan. Tell us about StyleScan.
2: Well, Style Scan is an incredible visual tool that enables um, customers uh, see them, see someone relate that they can relate to, um, mm-hmm. see the clothing and sizes that they can relate to. It is a visual digital tool. It's a plug-in that is simple to use, simple to, to um, engage in, and mm-hmm. pretty much my opinion is that every single website should have this tool. Um, implemented it enables a consumer uh, to preview a garment or an item of jewelry on a diverse carousel of models of diverse Mm -hmm. sizes diverse uh, ethnicities and it's a hundred percent zero it's zero waste and um, pretty much incredibly inclusive and I Mm -hmm. think it's just a fantastic revolutionary tool Um, This is why I came on board and joined the team of StyleScan early on because I saw this as an amazing solution um, to so many um, businesses and just a cost saving of photo shoots, a cost saving of um, everything from creating additional samples to increasing sales and and decreasing returns.
0: Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm obviously not an act, an expert in this area, but it, just looking at it, looking at your website, it looks. It just looks cool. Um, but also, you know, those are the challenges at the moment, isn't it? Is is with um, e-commerce? Is returns? So it reduces the returns, as you were saying, but also of waste, isn't it? The people buying fast fashion and, and not they're not keeping the things.
2: Absolutely. So th- from the yeah. very very get go, and I will have some. Uh, Great analytics, actually, for you. Um, in terms of, um, you know, in terms of everything that we have gotten so far from all the behind the scenes, um, yeah. on the exactly, you know, uh, the exact information of the ratio and, and returns and, and really increased engagement. Um, yeah. But it's a tool that really is so simple to use. It's simple to implement. Um, yeah. we're now in a full force of marketing it. So of course yeah. that's, hence the conversation with you. Um, mm-hmm. and going back to how does a fashion designer become a marketeer or yeah. do you always have to be, you pretty much all of us have to be marketeers. Every blogger mm-hmm. is a marketeer. Um, every, um, every pretty much, uh, anyone and everyone who is involved in anything where there's sales involved or a presentation of product, almost has to be a born marketeer
0: Mm, yeah absolutely and um i've been preparing to chat to you because you're the first fashion designer i've had on the show which might surprise you um but i've spoken to a lot of marketers that started in music or something creative and i imagine there's parallels for you as well because um whether you're a a musician a writer or a fashion designer you have to be a marketer don't you? you need to sell your designs and your products right
2: Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, um, every trade show, even as a fashion designer, you obviously, yeah. you know, you present your collection. So you have to yeah. learn how to, in a way, remove yourself from the product and move into um, sales and marketing. How do you present mm-hmm. your product? How do you mm-hmm. present it in the best light where the buyer, or at the same time now, how do we present Style Scan in the best light? How does yeah. the buyer understand this tool and how do we create this um, this incredible want and need for implementation of this product? Mm-hmm. I'll take care
3: of you, though, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I,
2: that wasn't meant I, to be... No,
3: me. <laughs>
0: I, I've not had, I mean, I've never had a fashion designer as a guest, but and not, I've not had a dog either. So it's a, it's a couple of firsts. <laughs> so We've now you quite have quite a pug dog the by background.
2: the name of That's Truffle. Cool. <laughs> you, have, you have Truffle on the truffle. show and a fashion oh, hello, designer. Yeah, I guess it happens, you know, a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> his, his name is Truffle and he, I guess he really wants to be on the show. He's a very fashion, uh, <laughs> fashionable guy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so the, so you, you kind of became, I mean, you, you need to become a marketer when you're a fashion designer. But how did you, you, you mentioned it a little Absolutely. bit about your history, but how did you become a fashion designer? I mean, I'm, it's too late for me now, but how do people become fashion designers?
2: Um, well, that was an incredible journey. Um, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. all my life I've wanted to create, um, leaving former Soviet Union, um, I left with a little suitcase full of dolls. It was actually like a breakfast um metallic case full of uh, treasure dolls that um, I made beautiful outfits for. So I started creating at a very, very early age. And um, as I mentioned to you, my grandmother, when she was still alive, she was incredibly um, talented and a very, very big influence in my life. My my father was an artist. He was a creative designer engineer. So he taught me how to uh, draw and paint. And my grandmother taught me how to sew and crochet wow. at a very, very early age. Like I think... I recall even when I was five years old, I would climb up on top of the table where she was sewing and turn her little ivory Singer sewing machine, and I was the the the, the handle turner while she was sewing. This wasn't even the sewing machine that yeah. had pedals. This was pre. Um, this no. was actually a, a sewing machine that you turned the handle on and it the needle would stitch. Mm-hmm. And I had this dream of um, you know creating clothes, creating fashion, making dressing women. And something really beautiful mm-hmm. at an early age, I, I saw my fair lady. And from that moment on, all my dolls were dressed in beautiful gowns that Audrey Hepburn wore. <laughs> so that started as a very, very fun journey. And at some point, very uh-huh. early on, my parents realized that I would not be able to be a fashion designer Um Obviously, mm-hmm. if we remained in the former Soviet Union. So, they, yeah. the entire family literally, which I'm forever grateful to them for, wow. uprooted and left and immigrated. Really, I think they did it all for me, you know, including my both wow. of my grandparents, my grandmothers that were still mm-hmm. alive back then, and my grandfather and my parents, um, because none of them spoke English. And um, wow. I really think to this day, I'm, I call my mother every morning on FaceTime. She lives in New York still. And I thank her for, mm-hmm. you know, bringing me. To America and enabling, you know, giving me the chance to to really succeed and follow my path and follow my dream. Um, And obviously we moved to New York. We immigrated Mm -hmm. and um, I followed my career in art, followed Fashion Institute of Technology and studied and um, did some modeling to pay for my tuition in in the interim Mm -hmm. and ended up um, in design and ended up working for incredible companies such as. Mark Jacobs. I was one of the creative um, sweater designers that was behind Mark Jacobs' first collection. And I was fit mm-hmm. modeling from Michael Kors. So that experience, again, everything leads to a point of marketing. Everything that I've journeyed yeah. through has led to where I am today and what I am able to bring mm-hmm. to StyleScan. And actually, what I saw as an incredible void for the fashion industry. And not right. so much a void, but an enormous need because it's still pretty dinosauric. I mean, we're pretty much the fashion industry still remains um, quite, uh, you know, quite behind a lot of mm. obviously, you know, tech firms. And even there are, of course, brands like Nike and, you know, that are on the forefront of mm-hmm. technology. But a lot of the fashion brands still lack um you know, the technological know-how, or even wanting to immerse themselves in the technology, the merger of technology and fashion in order to bring the consumer, a better experience for the consumer.
0: Right. And do you think that's because of the, um, you know, there's uh, the direct to consumer activity is kind of low, isn't it? And and most fashion brands are are selling through retailers and stuff. Is it is the innovation happening at the retail end and not with the designers? Is that what you're saying? Or is there just no innovation happening at all?
2: Well, there is no there's incredible innovation happening at the I think much more innovation is happening on the retail end, obviously, because Mm -hmm. they're they're being pushed by Amazon. I mean, really, who gave everybody yeah. that jump start? Who gave everybody the nudge like, yeah. "Hey fellow, you've got to move into the digital world or everybody's going to shop on yeah. Amazon and you're going to be left behind." So, of course, yeah. um, you know, very famous e-tailers such as Net a Porter, who are based out of UK actually were at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the fast fashion Um, uh, e e tailers uh, that became very notable for their fashion savvy, as well as presentation of product on the e-commerce site, such as My Teresa, which later got acquired by Neiman Marcus. I mean, some of these names might not mean much to you, but in the marketing world, in a marketing stratosphere of fashion, they're yeah. quite notable, and they were really yeah. the early on uh, renegades. They were the the disruptors, yeah. and so yeah. you know um, there are very very savvy tech savvy marketeers out there in the in the yeah. retail world as as well as you know on the high end and as well as on obviously in the mass market there's, there's always been much more because that mm-hmm. is the consumer age group that, who gravitates to shopping online because they don't like to go into a store yeah. they are not craving the experience yeah. of the service or being serviced to yeah. as much as someone a little bit older in the older demographic. So it's it's mm. almost like the industry itself was pushed to move on. Mm. Um, mm. Certain things happened, and obviously I, I the mean, pandemic.
0: Yeah. Sorry. I say, yeah, yeah. That's fine. I mean, I was just going to say that too. That the the pandemic hastened that, didn't it? Of the online shopping, and it's it's a hackneyed um, thing that everybody says, but it's true, though, isn't it? It changed retail completely, didn't
2: it? Absolutely, absolutely. It changed retail in every aspect uh, because
0: yeah.
2: this could happen again. I think all the retailers realize this could happen again and again, who knows? And mm-hmm. the fact that the mm-hmm. mom and pop stores couldn't even operate. And of course yes. the larger, the larger stores such as the Saxes and the Selfridges and the Harrods of today mm-hmm. were literally shut down because no one would go into the shops Um, Mm. to try things on. So everybody's bedroom, their home mirror, their closet became their store. And people Mm. still shopped. Obviously, maybe they shopped for more casual wear, not so much the dress up because there was no place to go. But people still Mm. had their COVID circles, their inner dinners, their at-home entertainment. People still were craving to to look fashionable. Even if you were wearing something Mm. casual, you still... (laughs) <laughs> you know any any you know people were still craving to maintain mm. that dignity or class or you know kind of a vision of yeah. something fashionable somewhat
0: <laughs> yeah well at the beginning um at the beginning of the pandemic in particular, I remember some colleagues on LinkedIn and stuff, and they were saying that they still were dressing for work in order to dress for you know the camera and the and the and the zoom calls, so I think there were still people buying dress shirts and things like that for that to have their Zoom shirt. Oh, absolutely. We
2: we had (laughs) a Zoom blouse. I had a collection of Zoom blouses. (laughs) I literally called them that. I created an entire line sheet that was called Zoom blouses with different beautiful floral prints and vintage prints and different colours. And that was my biggest seller Mm -hmm. during the entire time of you know the the tail end of 2020 wow. when people kind of grappled with with the insanity of it all and and realized that they would be moving mm-hmm. on into 2021 and the zoom the continued work from home would still carry on and people are still working a lot of people are still working from home it's it's difficult in the fashion industry to work from home because you can't really create cut and sew a garment from home wow. you yeah. can oversee certain yeah. things Therefore, again, style scan comes in into the digital creation. We, 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 as style scan as a tool, can uh, be implemented on different. And I'll, and I'll fill you in on all the different levels of speed to market, recognition, and again, mm-hmm. easing, um, really easing the the transitional, easing the fact of sewing multiple samples, saving the earth of all the garbage that's out there from that creates uh-huh. from making samples, zero waste, completely zero waste. Um, in, in in a short sentence, somebody literally, um, a sample maker in China or in India could make one sample, just one photograph it mm-hmm. on a mannequin, submit it to us. Let's say we are partner with a brand, And we can put instantly that item on 14 different models in all 14 different sizes and then send it back to the brand. The brand forwards it to the buyer and the buyer is now able to visualize it and buy it. So it's a B2B. It's a tremendous B2B advantage advantage as well as then. Of course, the e com stores use it as on a B two C, but there's just an incredible. Um, this is why my job is to market it to the brands on the manufacturing and as well as yeah. the retailers of today, because there are so many aspects um, and so many different facets to this visual tool that can be utilized and cross-utilized for marketing mm-hmm. for diff- for various marketing needs. That it's uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful. That's,
0: yeah, that's fascinating because I hadn't thought about the whole supply chain and I don't only thinking about having seen the demo on your website and saw it as a, a consumer thing. I mean, I'm I'm not, it's clearly not your target market, but even even I, when I buy something online, so ma- so much stuff I buy and it it, it it doesn't really work for me. No, and, I, I and I you to end up returning it.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so, whether target market, we don't specifically have a target market. Everybody's mm-hmm. our target because people. Um, And we're going into men's more and more because we've been approached by a lot Mm -hmm. of menswear firms as well. Um, Even if you're buying a classic polo shirt, let's say, you know, for for a meeting or for a Zoom call, Mm -hmm. you still could visualize what a particular color would look like on your skin tone prior to actually Mm -hmm. ordering it um, in seconds and not have to deal with possible returns afterwards. Um, you could also yeah. visualize it on someone who's similar to your size, and see. I mean, we're not calling a style scan a size predictor. We want to kind of stay away from that. Yeah. We're more a visual mm-hmm. tool, uh, because when you yeah. claim yourself to be a size predictor, then you know it goes into measurements and all these things. No, yeah. we are a, an incredible visual tool that will enable the consumer to visualize someone like them in the outfit that they're about to purchase or in a shirt or in a pair of shorts that they're about to purchase but at least see what they would potentially look like and see the color how the color works with someone of your skin tone you know and and that's where we come in we uh, we in we plug in diversity we plug in um engagement and we plug in a size assortment so that um and especially in the women's market too because You know, brands like Revolve and and Retrofit and some of these, they're so indoctrinating into featuring product and only the skinny size zero, size two girls. Mm -hmm. And it is, um, you know, it's incredibly kind of disheartening for any normal human Mm -hmm. being. An average size woman in America is size 16 nowadays. So if she's going to shop on on a website and all she sees is that particular dress that that is probably and usually is available in a size large or extra large, but it's never featured. It's only featured on a girl who who is a size two or zero. It's very hard to visualize. We plug in the visualization uh, experience. So now the customer, the consumer is engaged. They're experiencing something... um, warm and snugly because shopping should be fun yeah. and she shouldn't be feared yeah. of shopping for yeah. something that you want and she's experiencing something that's very relatable she's looking at a person and we also indicate the size the height and the size of the models the assortment of models that we feature the product on and she's looking and she's saying "Ha, huh, you know there's somebody that i can relate to finally this brand is offering this and I would love to buy this dress. Now let me see what other colors this comes in. Oh, that doesn't look well on my skin tone, but the green does. I'll mm. purchase that. And that's that's where yeah. it brings you to, obviously, to the purchase. Mm. You know, the, the, the yeah. final thing that everybody obviously strives for is conversion. Yeah. You know, at the end, every e-tailer, yeah. every marketer's wish is for every e-tailer to realize their conversion rates but the conversion rates will not happen unless the engagement is there
0: yeah i like i like the i like the the story because i like the blend of that it gives a great experience but also it provides efficiencies for the retailer it's good for the planet in less waste and all that case it's a it's a it's a really good story i actually sent the link to my daughter and she was putting together outfits from
2: my yes yeah thing. isn't it, it fun she, cool. can, she can play yeah. and uh, it's a dream come yeah. true for people some of us who grew up watching clueless and always dreamed about having that shares closet you know <laughs> where she would click on outfits yeah. and i don't know if your daughter how old is she
0: she's 18
2: oh wow so she probably yeah. at one point watched the movie clueless because it's iconic yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. uh, probably would love to do that and experience and have fun with with uh, implementing some of the style scan visual tools
0: yeah no that's excellent I, I, and uh, we're, <laughs> we're coming up to time I, I, I I'm, I'm surprised and um, I I'm also quite surprised because I actually have no idea about fashion and it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. I'm going to go with our final question. We have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMS Swimming Pool, where we throw all the bullshit, snake oil and overhyped trends that plague this industry we
2: love. What would you chuck in there? Most of our competitors, of course. <laughs> um. <laughs> And I will not name names, but StyleScan is actually mm-hmm. known for its dedication to product. Its extreme, mm-hmm. um, you know, dedication to everything that is about technology. We have the technology to back up the story. We're not just a story right. that's glamorized everywhere and then there's nothing behind it. We actually have an incredible right. team of brilliant, brilliant, um, you know, tech. An incredible tech team and an incredible creative team. So it's an it's it's a yeah. wonderful combination of the two. So absolutely, yeah. I would say um, there are plenty of people out there that claim to be uh, the next, you know, um, closet mm-hmm. clueless closet. But most of them <laughs> do not provide the experience and the beautiful resolution mm-hmm. that StyleScan uh, provides. The tech maintains the integrity of the art. And of the garment, mm. which is really very rare. And also the visualization of the garment on the form or on the model, the way mm. it's presented. Mm. Um, we're also very big in jewelry, uh, putting jewelry mm-hmm. on diverse models, which is also great. But getting back to your swimming pool of snakes, definitely the competition fades <laughs> when it comes to style scan. <laughs>
0: I love it. Well, I think you've made a tremendous. Um, a, a switch from fashion design to b2b marketer because i think any b2b marketer especially in tech will want to put their competitors especially the ones that just talk marketing bullshit and don't have the features of functions and the good tech behind it i think they would throw them in the swimming pool too so i think that's a great <laughs> testament to the fact you are now one of us so there you go and when people i mean we've talked about StyleScan, which is com, right but it's... when people want to spin the dial on the interwebs where they're going to find you, you know?
2: So stylescan.com is our website, and they could sk- yeah. easily sign up uh, on, on on our website, which is stylescan.com. Yeah. Um, we are yeah. on Instagram, and for me personally, I'm on LinkedIn uh, under at Galina mm-hmm. Sovolov. Uh, Instagram at Alina Sovolov, uh and uh, you can, you know, anybody can DM us with any questions or um, anything interesting. The brands that are our brand partners are featured on stylescan.com. And most important Mm -hmm. is we are a Shopify affiliate. So anyone wanting to start their e-comm store can benefit from requesting that style scan, you know, that they would like a style scan feature to be Mm -hmm. implemented. So that's the great new uh, thing that that we're going to implement.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, any of us in e-commerce tech have heard of Shopify. So that's that's amazing. So that's cool.
2: All right, Galina,
0: that's been splendid. And uh, thank you very much for your time. Absolutely, um, I will include all of your links in the show notes. So I'll include all your links in the show notes. And I look forward <laughs> to staying in touch and seeing how Wonderful. you guys do.
2: Yes, follow me on Instagram for all the fashion shenanigans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what I need, fashion shenanigans. Absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. And you your very daughter much, will
2: probably enjoy it too. Pleasure meeting you, Ian. <laughs>
0: Take you thanks galena that's the cool thing about doing a podcast it's a great excuse to meet some fascinating people take a look at StarScan, scan i will of course be including all of galena's links in the show notes right it's the end of the week time to wind down and this week the rockstar cmo virtual bar is in cleveland for content marketing world where i find my friend and content marketing guru robert rose chief troublemaker at the content advisory
1: Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It has been an exciting, interesting, long, mm. good week um, yes. here in the lovely Cleveland. And yes. um, yeah, we're in the virtual bar here. And I think, you know, I'm just, I don't have the creative brain power to create something fancy. <laughs> so I think we're just going to pour a couple of loggers and, you know, maybe a Guinness. Let's have a Guinness. Um, and... Uh, we'll 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 sit down and chitter chat about what we've seen over the last four days
0: uh-huh that's good well um yeah so you're pouring yourself a guinness and i am still i'm not Unfortunately, in the virtual or unvirtual bar of Cleveland this year, but I shall um, attempt to make that same drink in my desktop bar. So I shall uh, quickly you really whip don't
1: up. don't have a or is it sacrilege <laughs> to have a Guinness in the bottle or can? I guess it comes in cans. Um, yes, that's that's sacrilegious. Yes.
0: Well, the, the truth of it is, is in in my office um, over there. I'm pointing and looking. Yes. I do have a beer fridge where there is some beer, but on my desktop bar, and to preserve a joke that is, is I don't know, it's... Sorry, that was some Hendrix gin I was putting in there. for the most I Scottish see. of... Uh, Does it Genesis. have the
1: foam? Does it have the Guinness foam? Or? Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to put the foam in now because I'm going to use some cucumber tonic. I and, see. And uh, that should foam up lovely. I'm going to let this settle, uh, yeah. as all good things that come to you that wait as they say, the Guinness people, and give this a sip. Mmm. That's delicious. It's definitely not
1: this? as delicious as my Guinness. I, I, <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. That is, that is definitely not as good. <laughs>
0: Uh, so, we're calling this a Guinness. <laughs> yes, we are. We are.
1: The most Irish of gin and tonics, yes.
0: I could drink one of these every week. I suspect you so. Would, yeah. So, you're transporting the virtual bar to an actual bar, which is in Cleveland, I guess. That's right. Yes. I, you know, mm-hmm.
1: we have spent the, the last four, uh, four days here, and, and uh, this is mm-hmm. where we would spend our drink here in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful, wonderful week we've had here. Yeah. Um, I, you know, if I had to pick out some thematic things, I think, you know, there's some stuff that came up through the research that I just sensed from the crowd here. And and what I mean by yeah. that is, is that, of course, we CMI does their research every year to sort of see and take the temperature of where content marketing is as a practice. And the theme yeah. this year, you know, our theme was driving forward, you know, the so driving yeah. forward in strategy and sort of getting beyond the last two years of, 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 you know, difficulty and sort of, you know, really sort of driving our strategy forward. And certainly that was there, but I think the theme that came through most was one that we also saw in the research, which is this, there seems to be this, every, we're doing everything okay, but we seem to have been lost a bit in the shuffle. Um, And what I mean by that is that content marketers everywhere that I spoke with were sort of like, yeah, we're doing good work. We're doing the good things. We're, you know, creating owned media, we're creating mm-hmm. leads, we're creating subscribers, we're doing things well, but we seem to be a little bit forgotten in the business right now because everybody's wow. sort of in this like very strange evolutionary place you know, everything seems to be changing, whether it's, you know, how we're working from home versus how we're working yeah. in the office versus how we're, you know, doing direct marketing versus how we're actually trying to integrate, you know, more content into our customer experience, how we're trying to solve for more reach. And uh, and as we simultaneously try to, you know, create deeper levels of engagement and how we're actually dealing with, measurement as we deal with the fact that our tools just aren't quite up to snuff yet. How we're dealing with Web 3.0 and we don't even know what we're doing there versus what's going on with you know Web 2.0 that we still haven't figured <laughs> out how to really do yet. There's sort yeah. of this push and pull of are we doing the right things um, to really level us yeah. up as we start to think about content marketing? All while the complexity is this interesting sort of integration that we're seeing with, you know, so content operations is definitely now a thing. It's having a moment, right? Content operations as full stop as a marketing function, whether it be content marketing and thought leadership or whether it be marketing content and advertising or just management of digital assets. The idea of content operations was a big topic there as these sort of push and pull was, was going on overall. I think everybody was really happy to be there and really happy to be <laughs> yeah. in, um, you know, in, in, uh, in, you know, in the, uh, you know, in the space, feeling good. Yeah. You know, I had so many people yeah. come up to me and go, man, this is just great to be in person again. But overall, yeah. I think there's a, there's a sense of unease. Let's put it that way.
0: Wow. That's interesting. Well, I think what's going to be interesting about some of these trends is, How many of them stick, right? Because at the moment, I wonder about some of these things being a bit of a distraction because we see, you know, good, you know, good. A lot of the Web3 stuff, a lot of the sort of leading content marketing, content creator type folks looking a lot at Web3. And you wonder, you know, whether that's going to be sustainable in a way. Is it, I mean, it, I think, do you get I think that's sense right. That?
1: Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. And I think it goes beyond even the Web3 stuff. I think it gets into, yeah. you, know, you know, things like artificial intelligence, which was, mm-hmm. a, which was a big topic. Yeah. The idea of yeah. content creation, the idea of piercing through the noise now that, you know, yeah. s- you know, it's even worse than it used to be in terms of trying yeah. to you know, get attention. Because so much of the customer relationship has now shifted to digital you know yeah. and that includes by the way internal communications right with our remote mm-hmm. workers and
3: yeah, you know yeah. working
1: with virtual teams and you know our agencies yeah. that we now no longer have on site but that we're working with across yeah. zoom and our writers mm-hmm. our content creators which in some cases has been really good but in many cases there's a new way of working that is really providing for a, a big steep learning curve and that learning curve is, is really something that, you know, I think is causing people to, to be challenged, right? To be challenged with yeah. what should, you know, to your point, what should we be focused on and, and what are we mm-hmm. being distracted by?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, so you touched a little bit there. Was, was there a lot of, is there a lot of talk about the practice of content operations or is it a lot of conversation still about tech and what tech, you know, we, 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 we've, we've gone through a phase and we've been tech led in marketing. Is that, did you get a sense of that?
1: Uh, Yeah, there absolutely is a sense of that Mm. and it, and it, and it's still there for sure. Yeah. Um, But it's, it, 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 I think what has happened now is that there is a realization at least there seems to be a realization among the folks here that tech is not the magic cure all right. Mm -hmm. Um, That you have to have a, you know, and I think this is really at the core of why content operations is finally having a moment, which is Mm -hmm. there, what the, what the new working world has, has really demonstrated is the need for collaboration and how much collaboration Mm -hmm. is really needed. And what I think it's exposed in much of the technology is how lacking these technologies really are in collaborative sorts of features, right? You know, most technology is really good at the single user doing a single job, getting that job task done, right? Mostly it's built that way because the collaboration either happens outside of that tech Or it happens, Mm -hmm. you know, historically, you know, in a room or in a bunch of cubes or, you know, in a workspace where people can physically, you know, go back and forth and talk and chat with one another and look at things on a different screen and share the screen in a conference room and do all those kinds of things. And I think a lot of the tech now, the focus anyway, I see is how do we actually collaborate with in-person teams and remote teams simultaneously? And that collaboration is a is, is a big piece of what content operations really is. So it's putting in those processes, you know, planning, putting in a planning process, putting in a, you know, the workflow processes that actually makes content work at scale and all these digital experiences that we now have to create. And... So I think that's where a lot of the attention was when it comes to tech was like collaboration and team and mm. remote work and you know being able to do things from yeah. a million miles away and through easy interfaces and all those kinds of things yeah. rather than sort of the sophistication of X or Y or Z.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it helps, isn't it? I mean, we're all going through that right now. I see that in my own work is um, in the, when when you're trying to define process and try and get that stuff into the tools where you would get a bunch of people together with a whiteboard there's that that sort of experience is still lacking it's tough yeah it's really
1: really tough i mean i'm we're struggling with it with our clients right which is Mm -hmm. you know i mean you know the virtual whiteboards are fine right you know and and when i say fine i mean they're fine but nobody loves it nobody loves that experience you know and You know, I mean, I'm not sure that we loved the conference room. You know, staring out of the parking lot, <laughs> the beige room with a whiteboard, either. But it was better, right? I mean, it's yeah. just demonstrably better um, yeah. to to be physically in a room with people. And the interesting yeah. thing I find is that it's actually the reverse now is starting to come uh, to fruition a lot. What I, what I mean by that is I'm remote, and we're you know we're facilitating or working in a room where four or five or six of them are in a conference room together, right? They're in, they're right. on video together yeah. in a conference room. Yeah. And so yeah. that's the worst, right? The, yes. the, the you know, yeah, the, yeah. the best is to be all in person together. The second best is yeah. when you're all remote in, in different locations. Uh-huh. And then the uh-huh. worst is actually when some of them are together and you're actually the one because yeah. it's just never yeah. a good experience for you.
0: No. Especially if you're trying to whiteboard something, yeah, that's,
1: that's right. Possible. A brainstorm yeah, yeah. or create any sort of yeah. you know creative energy in a room—it's just really difficult to do. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, back to CM World. And yeah. um, dare I ask how your keynote went? My keynote went just fine. I never know how these things mm-hmm. go, and I never try and judge no. it, and you know all those kinds of things. Yeah. So I, I, I think yeah. let's just let's just say it went just fine. My topic that I was talking about was really the yeah. themes that we're seeing here. Um, Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this the last couple of weeks, this idea of creating more and, and how do we actually start to think through what strategy really means when it comes to content? Um, you know, really sorting out the fact that, you know, I, I think it was maybe three or four weeks ago, we talked about the idea when I, you know, when I talk to CMOs or CFOs and they say, well, what do you mean by content? And yes. and I, yeah. you know, yeah. and I end up saying, I yeah. uh, just let you just let that hang there, right? Because it's everything, yeah. right? And yeah. so when you start yeah. talking about content strategy and you go, yes, it is. It's really that important, it's really that big, it's yeah. really that unwieldy. We have to get our yeah. arms around it. That was sort of the topic of my keynote, mm-hmm. was sort of looking at things in a different perspective from that, you know, from that idea. And yeah. I think it went good.
0: Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. I've seen you speak a few times and uh, always excellent. And it's always nice to have you here on the show the other thing that i just caught from that and maybe it was quite selfish was that that um that over a few drinks in the virtual bar you were able to form your views for your keynote so i feel like i contributed uh yes indeed
1: (laughs) yes indeed it's it's almost as if we plan these things right it's almost it's, it's it's this strange sort of a feeling as if they're like almost thought through before we actually meet <laughs> in the bar i i can't imagine what that's all about well
0: i mean the, it'll come as no surprise to the listeners that there is some thinking through it it doesn't happen here with me it happens mostly with you so yes i just i just listen to your thoughts so it's been excellent and um congratulations on a great show oh thank
1: you very um, much I'm yeah sorry. and it's all as always it's so fantastic to see old friends and yeah, to make yeah. some new ones. And, you know, it really, this year felt a lot like homecoming because yeah. there's so many people that I hadn't seen in two years because they didn't yeah. travel or I didn't travel or, mm. you know, all of that. So yeah. there was so many hugs. Um, and it felt <laughs> really like a back to normal event where people felt comfortable and, and, it was yeah, yeah. That's that's a really great that's thing. And and also,
0: um, you mentioned at the beginning the con- the research that the Content Marketing Institute does. I think is all has always been excellent. And I, I'd encourage people to go check that stuff out. Yes, right? we really actually debut it.
1: So. We we debut some of the numbers at the show, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. then um, and then so in the coming weeks, the actual report will come out.
0: Oh, splendid, splendid. All right. Well, I'll include a link to uh, the Content Marketing Institute in the show notes where people might find that kind of research. But also, if people were interested in where all these thoughts for these keynotes come from, where might they find that inspiration? Well, will find me at contentadvisory.net. <laughs>
1: Splendid. And
0: when they spin the dial on the interwebs, when you get back from um, Ohio, where are they going to find you?
1: Um, well, assuming I get back from Ohio, I mean, you know, <laughs> the travel, let's just put it this way. Business travel is still pretty broken um, uh-huh. as it as it uh, as it uh, as it works out. Um, I will yeah. be on LinkedIn as the best place to catch me. I mean, I'm on Twitter, too. I'd love to connect with everybody on Twitter. Um, but LinkedIn is where I do most of my. my my writing and sort of communicating and and kvetching
0: kvetching yeah that's a lovely word kvetching i'm gonna have to add that to my vocabulary i'm not sure i can quite pull it off but i'm gonna give it a go and um most importantly for me are you gonna be in the in our virtual bar next week
1: i will indeed back in the virtual bar as it were
0: (laughs) i look forward to it thank you very much robert and again congrats on a great show and i look forward to speaking to you next week cheers Thank you robert i plan to have that conversation in person at cm world next year for sure so that's a wrap on episode 132 of the rockstar cmo effing martin podcast i've been your host ian truscott thanks again to jeff galena and robert for sharing their insight please say hello to them i'll include all their links in the show notes which you can find on your favorite podcast app or rockstarcmo.com where you can also find all our previous episodes But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. So does the world need another Effing Martin podcast? Please let us know on the socials or drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff will be in the studio. I go backstage with my chum, Liz High, who's written a fabulous book about branding and banks. And Robert will be back from Cleveland and in the bar. Until then, have a great week. I hope you can join us next week here on Rockstar CMO FM.
1: This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.